Hello everyone and Namaskar. So today's podcast is a continuation of the book titled Anandamurti, the Jamalpur Years. And this is a reading of the 11th chapter titled A Philosophy Takes Shape. From the inanimate to the animate goes the process of evolution. Consider a piece of stone, for instance. It has neither the power of action nor the sensation of mind. What is the reason? It is because hitherto there has been no manifestation of mind in the stone at all. Consider the trees and plants that are more animate than the stone. There is activity in them. They grow, draw vital juice from the earth, maintain their species by creating seeds in their own bodies, and enjoy and suffer pleasure and pain when taken care of or hurt. We see in them the manifestation of consciousness, for mind has awakened in them. Thus, progressing on the path of mental development, we see in humanity its greatest manifestation. Just as evolution takes place from the subtle to the crude, similarly, the unit entity reverts step by step from the crude to the subtle, toward the same absolute consciousness whence it came. It is just like the waves of the sea, rippling back whence they have come. With the founding of the organization, Baba began the concrete materialization of his life's work, putting into effect the ambitious plans he had chalked out during his childhood years. He had by now created a small base of dedicated disciples. But up until this point, he had given them no more than vague hints of what was in his mind. One day in early spring, while walking with Chandranath, Baba turned and said, When your ideology goes outside of India, it will spread very rapidly. Chandranath was surprised. Here we are, he thought, a handful of disciples in a small town in India, and already Baba is talking of spreading to foreign countries. When Baba went on to say, that one day they would be holding Dharma Chakra in New York, Rome, and Moscow. Chandranath objected. How is this possible, Baba? Westerners are Tamaguni. They are not spiritually minded like Indians. Now you are wrong, Baba replied. The majority of Westerners are Rajaguni. What are the signs and symptoms of Rajaguna? Courage, confidence, agility, an active and energetic nature, the power of persuasion. Look at Western society, and you will see that those qualities stand out. And Rajaguna is very close to Satwaguna. When they take up spirituality, they will make rapid progress. When Baba said in December that many people will now be coming and that they will need an organization to receive them, Chandranath had thought he had meant a few hundred disciples, maybe one day a few thousand. The idea that Ananda Marga will spread outside India was hard to imagine. But the speed with which the mission would grow would soon catch them all by surprise. After the first DMC, Baba started giving a series of informal talks on philosophy at the tiger's grave during his evening walks. He asked Shiva Shankar Banerjee to take notes. Each night after arriving home, Shiva Shankar would organize his notes and add whatever he had failed to write down. Then he would bring them to Baba to review. By the end of February, 
A manuscript was ready in Bengali. Baba gave it the title, Ananda Marga Elementary Philosophy. But I arranged contributions from different disciples, and in early March, the first edition came back from the press. By then, Chandranath was already nearing completion of the Hindi translation. The terms that Baba used in his discussions were drawn principally from Sankhya, the first of the six recognized systems of Indian philosophy and the world's oldest. These terms, however, took on a new life in elementary philosophy, which, despite its title, was anything but elementary. Baba began his exposition with a deceptively simple opening in a chapter entitled, What is Dharma? Man is the highest evolved being. He possesses a clearly reflected consciousness, and that makes him superior to animals. No other being has such a clear reflection of consciousness. He then showed how man's clearly reflected consciousness leads him on a quest for happiness, first through material enjoyments, possessions, power, position, then towards subtler and subtler pursuits as his consciousness becomes aware of the temporary and thus ultimately unsatisfactory nature of such enjoyments, until the mind gradually intuits that only an infinite being can satisfy its infinite thirst. The nature of consciousness is to seek for the infinite, or Brahma, and so man derives real happiness only when he can obtain Brahma or enter into the process of obtaining it. The conclusion we thus arrive at is that the universal religion, or Dharma, of man is to realize the infinite, or Brahma. It is only by means of this Dharma that he can enjoy eternal happiness and bliss. Baba then posed the first in a series of epistemological questions. It is therefore necessary to see whether Brahma exists or not. Thus embarking on the first of the great philosophical queries, can the existence of God be substantiated? For Baba, it was not simply a matter of faith, but rather of both perception and philosophical logic. In order to answer his query, he led the reader through an intricate analysis of the process of perception, beginning with the functioning of the sensory organs and continuing inward through the different functional layers of the mind until he was able to demonstrate that our feeling of existence can only be substantiated by the presence of a witnessing consciousness. The existence of I in my mind only proves that there is another real master which is beyond the mind and which is aware of the mind's existence. This I, which is the witnessing entity and witnesses the existence of mind and therein the existence of buritatwa or feeling of I is called Atman or unit consciousness. Thus, by introspection and concentrated thinking, it is observed that Atman and mind, i.e. unit consciousness and mind, are two separate entities. After elucidating this subtle and fundamental point in greater detail, he explored the relationship between unit consciousness and the different layers of the mind, showing not only how they interact, but how the presence of one substantiates the existence of the other. A purely philosophical understanding that could nonetheless be confirmed through deep introspection. He then showed how each successive layer arises out of the previous one 
in order of subtlety as a result of the qualifying power inherent in consciousness. Until he arrived at the universal character of this witnessing consciousness, the universal soul or God, thus establishing a philosophical and perceptual proof of the existence of the Supreme Being. It was not an easy argument to follow, but Baba took the time to make sure his disciples understood each subtle nuance of his argument. When necessary, he made them sit for meditation in his presence until they can perceive for themselves what he was formulating in the language of philosophical logic. Using a substantiation of the existence of a universal consciousness as a starting point, Baba examined in detail, chapter by chapter, the major philosophical questions facing mankind. What is the nature of God? What is the nature of the universe? What is the nature of the human being? What is the nature of the human being's relationship with God and the universe? How should human beings live their lives? What is the aim of life? Until he arrived at the need for intuitional practices, their modus operandi, and the reasons why human beings fail to do such practices. It was a seamless, logical progression that began with a detailed exploration of yogic cosmology. The involution of consciousness into matter and the evolution of consciousness out of matter, and ended with an exploration of how the human being completes the cycle of creation by attaining the state of spiritual perfection through intuitional practices. Thus, his treatise served not only as a basis for a philosophical understanding of existence, but also as an exhortation to human beings to participate in their own evolution in an intelligent, enlightened manner. Baba also took advantage of the opportunity to point out the drawbacks of certain religious credences and practices that were not consonant with a rational scientific understanding of spiritual endeavor, such as ritual sacrifice, neutralizing the influence of the stars, different forms of ritualistic prayer and worship, and so on. In regards to the form of prayer, most common in traditional religion, he stated, Asking for favors from God is only pointing out to the soul giver his mistakes in the distribution of his favors. One who performs actions shall also bear the consequences. And blaming God for it as his partiality is not going to save one from bearing those consequences. A hand plunged in fire will surely get burnt. No amount of praying is going to save it. In God's creation, there is no flaw, only because all things, small or big, follow their own nature, dharma. Otherwise, there will have been disorder at every step. Though Ananda Marga was only a few months old, Baba's candidness about the shortcomings of traditional religion and his rational analysis of certain superstitions and dogmas prevailing in society would soon generate opposition to Ananda Marga in orthodox religious circles an opposition that would later spread to the government when Baba began to propound his social philosophy. Ram Avatar Sharma, owner of the Navajivan Press and editor of a local magazine, expressed his opinion of Ananda Marga in an editorial. Ananda Marga is the child of a poisonous snake. If it is not killed now, in the future Ananda Marga will swallow the entire world. Baba devoted the last chapter of elementary philosophy to the various fears and misconceptions that keep people from taking up spiritual meditation. In answer to those who believed 
that it was necessary to renounce worldly life in order to achieve illumination, Baba pointed out that avoiding worldly life deprived the person of the opportunity to do social service, which he considered an essential part of the spiritual path. He coined the phrase in Sanskrit to serve as the motto of the new organization. Atma Moksha Artam Jagad Hita Yacha Self-realization and service to the creation. He told his disciples unequivocally that a spiritual aspirant could not have one without the other. It was the first time that a prominent Indian spiritual teacher had ever declared that selfless service was an essential prerequisite for achieving spiritual illumination. In a subsequent DMC, Baba gave a long discourse on the different types of service in which he explored this teaching in greater detail. The principal cause for the bondage of the fruits of action is ego. But while you perform an action, while imposing the idea of Narayana on the person served, there can be no possibility of any ego or yearning for fame growing in your mind. Then you will realize that it's through the grace of Narayana that you have the opportunity of serving Narayana. Our hands and feet are not ours, they are His. And by serving Himself with those hands and feet, He sports with Himself. Such an action alone is action without attachment. Through this alone can a person attain salvation from the bondage of karma. You must feel that the person served is Brahma. The person served are His finite manifestation. Never even by mistake take the object of service to be a man or a living being. By working with feelings of Brahma, you will gradually be able to perceive Brahma in everything. Early in 1955, the disciples opened their first service project, a food co-op in Jamalpur, that lasted a couple of years before their lack of expertise rendered it inviable. Soon after the co-op opened, Margis from Bagalpur opened a free medical clinic. They called it Ava Seva Sadan, in honor of Baba's mother. Shortly thereafter, they opened a second Ava Seva Sadan in Jamalpur. They also began a program for feeding the poor in Jamalpur and Bagalpur called Narayana Seva that was soon replicated in other cities as well. As the number of disciples increased, so did the number of service projects. Despite an acute lack of funds, and as the years went by, Baba would gradually place increasing pressure on the disciples to expand the scope of their service activities. Shortly after elementary philosophy returned from the printers, Baba asked Pranay to begin taking dictation for a second book, Anandamarga Charya Charya, The Do's and Don'ts of Anandamarga. While elementary philosophy was designed to serve as an introductory text to the spiritual philosophy of Anandamarga, Charyacharya would serve as its social code. Two thousand years earlier, the sage Manu had written the Manu Samhita, a set of rules and practices that would thereafter serve as the Hindu social code. The Manu Samhita included everything from the daily observances of Hindus to the wedding ceremony. It was through the Manu Sanghita that the caste system became solidified, cementing itself in Hindu life 
as social law. Anandamargacharya Charya also contained the daily observances for Anandamargis, such as twice-daily meditation and the various other yogic practices, as well as a list of prescriptions and proscriptions for spiritual aspirants in the different arenas of life. The new book included a compendium of social ceremonies, such as the Anandamarga wedding ceremony, funeral rites, baby naming ceremony, housewarming and tree planting ceremonies, a list of Anandamarga festivals, and so on. It also contained a detailed outline of the organizational structure from local and district boards and secretaries to their global counterparts, as well as an economic policy and a system of punishment for social transgressions. Though most of the disciples were well aware that by accepting Baba's teachings, they were parting ways with their Hindu upbringing, few of them had suspected how deep the breach would become. With the publication of Charya Charya, Baba served notice that Anandamarga was not only a spiritual philosophy and a system of spiritual practice, it was also a social-spiritual movement capable of governing itself and regulating all aspects of its social life. Charya Charya gave a structural framework to the growing sense among the disciples that they were now engaged in the work of building a spiritual community. In keeping with Baba's philosophy, the work would have to include all aspects of human life, from professional and family responsibilities to the effort to attain the Supreme. Anandamarga was barely a few months old, but already Baba was making his long-term intentions clear. The creation of a movement that would one day encompass the globe and be capable of meeting all human needs, from the mundane to the spiritual. Thank you.